calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks for Coming In. I'm your host, Jillian Clare. I hope this past week has been treating you all well. I have been, uh, I finally got myself into running um, because I've never really loved it before. But I found that if I have my Kindle on the treadmill, I can get it done. So um, I've been upping my time on it and uh, the amount of days I go on it. And I feel pretty good. My legs kind of hurt, so I'm chugging Powerade and taking a lot of Epsom salt baths, but um, it's been uh, it's been good. I feel like it's actually helping my mood a little bit, too. Um, crazy, right? So crazy that exercise helps your mood. Who knew? Anyway, that is something that's a little new in, uh, in my life, and I've just been, you know, doing a a lot of work on school, a lot of reading. I'm really far deep into this Pink Carnation series, guys. Sometimes I wake up and I think, oh, hey, am I in 1803 or no, not yet. Okay. It, they're really fun books and I absolutely freaking adore them. Anyway, that's kind of what's going on. I have a couple projects I'm working on right now that I'm really excited to tell you all about, but alas, I cannot yet. So hang in there. But hey, if you have a project and you want to tell me about it, then um, go on our Instagram. Those links are in our show notes and shoot me a DM on Insta because I want to see what you're making. I want to help you promote it. I love supporting fellow artists. So shoot me a DM because I'd love to check out your stuff. 
Speaking of supporting fellow artists, today on the show, we have Annika Marks. Now, you know her face from Goliath, Waco, The Fosters. Maybe you saw her in her breakout role in The Sessions opposite uh, Helen Hunt and William H. Macy and John Hawks. But today we're going to talk about her new film, Killing Eleanor, that she wrote, she produced, and she starred in like the badass that she is. It was so cool to talk to a fellow actor who has decided to take their career into their own hands and start creating content and movies and doing it with friends. So here is my conversation with Annika Marks. And welcome to the show, Annika! (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) How are you on this fine day? I I am very, very well. I'm actually up in Seattle with my parents taking advantage of that, um, you know, that pandemic shuffle that so many of us have done, which is uh, is lovely. They live in Seattle. It's beautiful up here. Happy to be here. That's so exciting. I I was born in Portland, so I'm very familiar with the Pacific Northwest, but I haven't been to Seattle since I was a kid and I want to go so bad. You know, it's so nice. I have to say, like, I spent my whole career in New York and then in L.A. And, like, I I never even crossed my mind that I could spend, you know, months at a time in Seattle ever again in my life, right? And um, mm. it's an interesting year because with so much of our work over Zoom and, um, yeah, we, my husband and I actually had our first baby about four months ago. And so we came oh, here and, yeah, spending time with family, which is just the most wonderful silver lining to this whole year. That's fantastic. So are you from Seattle then? We moved here when I was a teenager. So we moved here just in time okay. for the worst years of my life. But um, <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the many, many years since, I've developed a, a love with it because this is where my family is is still located. Right. Yeah. Wow. And when did you know, I mean, you've been working for so long. You've done some incredible things with, you know, huge, huge names. <laughs> um, when did you know that you wanted to be an actor? When was that? discovered in you? You know, I wanted to be a dancer when I was a kid. Um, Mm. And I was pretty convinced that I was really destined to be a professional ballerina and was really focused on it um, just forever and ever. I mean, you know, from a kid perspective. Um, And at about 14, I had a ballet mistress at a a very Balanchine type school um, sort of assess my very quickly, rapidly developing body, um, and say, you know, this, this mm. is not your path for you. Um, and so it, it was totally devastating to me. And I spent a wow. bunch of years trying to figure out, um, where I, used, and I, you know, I was a teenager also. So I had a lot of other <laughs> reasons to be angry in general at life. <laughs> um, right. A while to like figure out, you know, if I belonged in the arts, and then if so, where, um, and so discovering acting yeah. was this really, wonderful organic process that kind of came out of like what was the thing I was really missing about dance and I realized the thing I was really missing was was performing mm. um and so I went to New York mm. I'm a circle in the square theater conservatory um fell in love with theater fell in love with an art form where you don't all have to be um any kind of like carbon copy of each other but where like individualism is actually the thing that's the most celebrated that felt really liberating. <laughs> right right um and so, yeah, that's kind of how I found my way into acting. Wow. So you you moved to New York. When did you move to New York? How old were you? I was 17. I, I had just graduated from high wow. school. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I moved out with 
I mean, two suitcases, no money, and like figured it out. Went went to a theater conservatory during the day, uh, worked at night, and um, did that thing that you can only do when you have the stamina of a of a seventeen year old, right? Of a young person when you can just be like, go, 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 go. I'm good. I don't need sleep. Exactly. Which you know, uh, having a newborn, you're reminded of your stamina. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. (laughs) So you go to New York uh, with two suitcases at 17. How long before you start to work as an actor? Or did you have a struggle trying to find an agent? What path did you take? There's because there's so many different ways to enter into the industry. What was yours? There are. And it took me a long time. I am one of those like very slow and steady stories. Um, and I started at the at the very bottom. I did extra work. I did stand-in work. I mean, I actually, you know, when I look back on it, was have been a member of SAG for a very, very long time, right? And making my health insurance for a long time. But but those early mm-hmm. years it was all because I was had the humility to get on set and do background work, you know. And um, I look yeah. back at that time now and think like it was the most incredible learning experience because I was a really I think, you know, talented, hardworking, disciplined, young actor with no credits. And I'd never been on a film set. I had done a lot Mm -hmm. of like theater training. So I kind of feel like my, um, I almost did like a master's program in, in, you know, acting for the camera by just being on set um, full time. Um, I did a full season of stand-in work on The Sopranos. um, And that was an incredible experience. I got to watch the best work. Um, And, you know, in in all that time, I was doing short films and student films and a million little plays, productions everywhere and, you know, and then I I eventually got a break. um, And I mean, I I say a break, it's not like it launched me, but my first like real job job was on a film that somebody dropped out of. And it was one of those stories of like, I had just been working so hard for so long and um, a, a, an actress who had a bunch of credits and I had none. Um, she dropped out of a film at the last minute and this director called three different people asking for recommendations, two casting directors and a manager and said, do you know anybody who could play, you know, a high school student who, um, you know, might be right for this. And all three of them brought up my name. And so the, it was three people who had seen my work or wow. you know, seen me in class or whatever. And it's, it's one of those moments where you say like, if luck is preparation meeting opportunity, it was that moment, you know? Um, and that was an indie. I got, I mean, and that's huge. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's huge. I mean, that's a, that's a great example for young actors who are trying to find their way into the industry where it's like, you may think that you're not progressing, that things aren't happening for you, but every single thing that you do for your career, it's adding up to something. And that's the perfect example for it. No, that's right. And I, I, you know, and without boring your listeners forever, but I have a million examples of things just like that. Because I think, I think if you're going to work as an actor, one of two things is going to happen. You're either one of those actors that the industry kind of like puts on its back and kind of carries. Um, mm-hmm. And those people are very special. They have something, you're the right person in the right moment with the right gifts. I have never been that person. I've always been somebody mm-hmm. that, you know, has taken baby steps and I, I have, I have hit every step along the way, you know? Um, and I think mm-hmm. when you're that kind of actor, you just, you have to keep doing great work and you have to keep yeah. 
you have to keep your love for it alive. Otherwise there is no, you, you, you cannot possibly stay the course. Um, <laughs> but I think if you do, the nice thing is by the time you start working, you've made a lot of your mistakes when the stakes were really, really low and you've gotten to play a lot and you've actually met so many more people than you realize you've met by the time you start working. Um, and one day you kind of wake up and realize you have a career and it's, that was a, that was an amazing, but that didn't really happen for me where I really made my living consistently until I was about 30 years old. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think there's such an interesting dynamic, especially with females in the industry, right? You see this, this kind of protege of the female personality of who you're supposed to be, especially as a young actor, where it's like you hit that 2021, 20, 22 point, And if you're not, Jennifer Lawrence, Emma Stone, Saoirse Ronan, if you don't make it then you think, oh, I'm done for because I didn't get it when I was super, super young. So I'm not the ingenue, Mm. which is what everyone thinks is important. But I've always loved people who are like Allison Janney and Sarah Paulson, who just have this steady arc of incredible work. And then all of a sudden, at one point, something great stuck and it just exploded their career. Yeah. And I think there's lots of actors, you know, I mean, some of my favorite actors are people who the average person wouldn't know by name. Right. But they've had these extraordinary careers and the thing that they've maintained um, that I think is so special is their anonymity. Um, Obviously we're in a, we're in an era when everybody, there's a lot of pressure to do things like social media and to, you know, people use the word branding a lot these days, mm-hmm. right? There's a real danger in that from my perspective, because once people are too familiar with you, once they think they've, they've, they've got a read on who you are, it's a lot harder to convince them that you're somebody else, right? right. It, it's a lot harder to kind of assimilate into different worlds. Um, and that's the part of this that I've always really loved. And so I think, you know, there's a gift to kind of floating under the radar, um, Mm -hmm. while doing good work and knowing people in the business respect you, um, and being lucky enough to make a living, which is that you can, you can get hired to do such an amazing assortment of things. Um, and I think that's the fame part. If that's what you're looking for, that's a, that's a completely different beast. But if you want a career, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of paths actually. And I think that's something that you start to realize too. I'm approaching 30 in a couple of years here. And I think you start to realize that in your late 20s where it's like you start to see the people kind of drop off because they hadn't reached that like level of fame yet. And you're like, oh, got it. So you were in it for that. I'm in it over here to to make art and express myself and do what I unfortunately love to do. <laughs> One, I think if you're in it for that reason and that's and that's the if you know in your heart that that's what that's this is what you are meant to do that you are an artist and that this is this is your form of expression then it's not a question of like are you going to choose to do it right it's it's mm-hmm. it's just a matter of living and breathing and being and expressing and it takes the pressure off the you know i've got a goal and i'm headed that way and until i get to that exact peak i'm not going to have made it that that's that's a different way to live to me that's like that's like putting an emphasis on how much money you're going to make or what size house you're going to have or how many kids you're going to have like, that's a different version of success there is a there is a measure of success that is just about 
my God, how lucky we are that we get to choose to live our lives as artists. A lot of people around the world mm. would love to do that and don't have the opportunity to, to live that way, right? So I always try to remind so myself true. of that if I feel like I'm I'm not where I want to be. It's like, but I in a, by a different with a different perspective, I'm exactly where the ten year old me would have wanted to be, right? I'm I'm an artist, and right. that's there's a huge luxury in that. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Huge luxury. So you said you didn't get your your first big break until you were around thirty. What was that? It was a movie called The Sessions, um, and that was a casting director, um, Ronnie Yesko, one of the all time greats. She cast Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. She's just an amazing. Wow because I had an incredible career. Um, and she had seen me on stage a bunch of times. So it's another one of those stories. She actually, by that point, I was living in LA, um, but I was still doing a lot of theater. Um, and she'd seen me on stage doing stuff that I had done for no money, you know? Um, but she had, mm. she'd been keeping track of, of, of me. I, I know she had seen me several times. Um, and she actually 
got my cell phone number and called me and said, I, I think I have got a, a role for, you know, I have a role I want you to read for. And I said, great, I'm in New York. And she said, all right, I'm going to put the audition off until you're back. Cause I think you're really right for this. Um, and so she really advocated wow. and I got into the room with the director, um, um, incredible director named Ben Lewin, um, read for it. He cast me almost immediately. I was, I think I was the second person cast in that film. Um, and it, it I mean, John Hawks oh was already attached to play the lead which he did extraordinarily. Um, and yeah, the, I would, that is very much the story of a casting director, you know, waiting for the right moment um, and having done enough work in front of that person that they know they can, mm-hmm. that you're worth the investment, you know, on their part. Cause they, they're sticking their necks right. out with that kind of, with that kind of thing. So um, yeah, Ronnie's, I, 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 I give all credit to Ronnie. That's an incredible story. Wow. That's pretty fantastic. And William H. Macy was in that, Helen Hunt. I mean, what a fantastic movie to be a part of as like your first huge thing. It was pretty like powerhouse people. It's also an interesting story because like that movie was a small movie that became a big movie, right? Like when I got cast in it, it was just I, I only John Hawks was cast and then it slowly built you know they they got a bigger I've always thought oh my god if they'd had William H Macy and Helen Hunt and all that I probably wouldn't have gotten the role right like I I, mm-hmm. I was, I was brought on so right. early uh and it was still a small film we were all doing it it was you know it was like a it was a very low budget indie um it was just really good John was phenomenal and wow. I think that there was an energy on set that suggested that this was really special. Um, but we were not making any money doing that movie. So it, it, is one those, <laughs> it is one of those stories where like, you're so grateful to go to work and you still have a, a second job, right. To make a living at that point right. in a jewelry business that I was supporting myself with. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was still a Oof. couple of years before I, consistently made a living. But I think of that movie as kind of changing my life um, in just being in something that got enough eyeballs on it um, that, you know, that's, that's that obviously exposure is a huge part of opportunity. Huge. And since then you've been on, I mean, so many shows, Foster's, Waco, Goliath. I mean, just incredible, incredible work. And I want to talk to you about Killing Eleanor, which is a film that you wrote and produced as well. Is that right? Yes, I wrote it. So this is my first feature. Um, I've been writing for a long time, kind of in secret, because just like that transition, I feel like <laughs> from dancing to acting and how long it took me, I feel like I've I've been a writer forever that was too afraid to admit it or share my writing with mm. anyone. So it's been a very, very long process of kind of coming out as a writer. Um, and this is, this was the first thing I got made. Um, and it was an incredibly exciting experience. I, I wrote it. I star in it. My husband directed it. We produced it together with some really good friends. Um, oh, we got to cast that. so many of our favorite people in the film, Jane Kaczmarek and Betsy Brandt. Uh, yeah. And, and these, just these people that I've, you know, that I'd worked with who were some of my favorite Love actors. those people. Oh, they're just, and they're like the most wonderful, talented, generous spirits and um, got to create an environment on set that was the one that I wanted to work in, which was just really full of love and we're really proud of it. And I can't wait for people to see it. We're about to sign a distribution deal, so I can't actually say what it is, but it will be, um, it should be, I think, a fall release. So it's very soon people will be able to watch the film and I, I can't wait to share it. 
I'm I'm so excited to see it. I watched the trailer and it's it's such an interesting concept and you had to have pulled several aspects of your own life from it because there's the dancing aspect that you mentioned that you were a dancer and yeah. how much of it is is stuff that you've pulled from your own experiences that you've seen on it's, screen. It's it's a very personal film. It's so the briefly the story is um, a terminally ill like eighty year old woman um, who wants to die on her own terms, and she convinces this you know this addict. She's in her thirties um, to help kill her in exchange for clean urine. So it's a very very dark comedy, um, but it's a it's a right to die dark comedy um, that deals very heavily with addiction. Um, and, you know, we, we have addiction in my family and my um, grandfather died of a degenerative disease that killed him very, very slowly. And I've had the idea in my mind forever mm-hmm. that it was something to tell a story about, because I think we don't talk about death very easily. Um, it's, an, it's, an, it's uncomfortable. And yet it is something that is going to yeah. unify all of us, right? It is so consistent. It is so constant. And we avoid talking about it until it is traumatizing us. And so it's always been something that I wanted to write Mm. about. Um, And when I was young, I had this crazy experience where a very old lady, I was subletting an apartment from in New York when I had no money. Um, She, right before I signed the lease, which was like handwritten on a yellow legal pad, uh, right before I signed it, she said, (laughs) unless you want to agree to help kill me when I'm ready to go, in which case you could have the place for free. And it was so shocking. I mean, obviously I signed it and I paid her and I did not kill her, but I, it, it, <laughs> it like stayed with me forever that this woman's request was so odd and so strange. And I just thought, wow, what an interesting combination of people, you know, a young struggling person and this older yeah. woman and her life and, um, and is there a movie in it? And about years and years later, I tried to figure out how to write one. That's amazing. And another really cool aspect of this, and I wrote it down to make sure I got it right, was that 50% of your producers were female and 60% of the department heads were as well. And it was an all-female soundtrack. That is incredible. I love to see that because it shows that every like you're putting effort into making sure that females are represented. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think is so um, important to say is that we weren't even looking to do that. Mm. Like it was, we hired the best people for the job and that many of them turned out to be women. Um, You know, like I said, my husband directed the film. We had men in positions of power on this film, but we also had a lot of women in positions of power. And I think the thing that stops women from getting hired so often, um, especially behind the scenes, right, is... um, blind spots by the men who are doing the hiring. So I think in this case, we just removed Mm -hmm. the blind spots and we were just out there looking for the best people. We didn't have a mandate. Um, We didn't have any kind of checklist in our minds. We were just looking for the best candidates. um, And 60% of our department heads turned out to be female because they were the best people for the job. And I think there are so many qualified women out there just waiting for their opportunities. And the more women we have doing the hiring, the more shots they're going to get. Oh, I love that so much. And I cannot wait to see the movie. Oh, thank you. Uh, and now we have come to the point of the show where I ask you to share an audition story. It could be one that got away. It could be a sad one, a funny one, whatever you want to share. Do you have something <laughs> for the audience? 
Well, the first one that comes to mind, I don't know why. I, I think this is sad and funny. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to say the name of the show. It didn't go, by the way, which makes it a little bit easier. But, yes. um, but years ago during a pilot season, it's one of those pilot seasons where I was auditioning a lot and I hadn't booked anything. And I was like trying to trust the universe that it was just like, you know, that everything was meant to be and that I was on the path I was supposed to be on. And that at some point that perfect thing would come along. Right. Um, mm. and I got an audition. I want to say I got it at about 10 PM and I had to go in at about 10 AM the next morning. And it was about 12 pages of material. And I got it and thought like, this is impossible. And then I read the character breakdown and it was me. It was perfect. She was an ex dancer. She was starting her own dance studio, everything about the character. But I, I just felt like, Oh, this is, this was written for me. And here I am. I'm so ready. I'm going to stay up all night, figure this out. This is my job. And I did. I like, I like, you know, didn't sleep, memorized the 12 pages, made up what I thought were really strong choices. I, I don't know that I've ever felt as confident driving across town as I did for this audition. And Dang. I, I got to a waiting room. I'm sitting in the waiting room and they're clearly desperate because the waiting room is filled with women. I know almost all of them. And I was still feeling confident. I'm looking around thinking, I know all of you are so talented, so beautiful, so ready, but this is my role. This is my role. And I am so, this is just so much meant to be. I was so not intimidated. I was so not nervous. I was just so ready. And there were so many people waiting to read for this role that they had a line outside the door waiting to go in because it was four producers and I could hear them inside. I could hear how many producers there were. So you knew you were at that point where like they were desperate to get it cast, right? Like it, any minute somebody was going to walk in, they were gonna be the right person. I was waiting in line to go in and I'm like slowly inching up. And finally I'm like next in line. I can hear the person in the room ahead of me and still I'm feeling like so good, so focused, so ready. That girl walks out and suddenly there's like, this real, there's like commotion that comes out of the elevator at the other end of the hall. And all these executive types, they're so happy. One of them is carrying a bottle of champagne and they are like giggling and laughing and walking through the hall. And they're so excited that they're walking past all of us and they, and they see me and they say, okay, just hold on one minute. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And they walk into the room and then I can hear them inside the room pop the champagne because the girl that they'd offered the role to had accepted it. And so they pop the champagne. They're all celebrating. I can hear everything happening through the wall. And then somebody says, probably the casting director, hey, you guys, there's a whole bunch more people that have to read for the role. So let's just like, and they're like, oh, okay, 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 sure. Bring, bring, bring the next one in. <laughs> and so then I walked into the role. I still think I did the best audition of my life. I felt <laughs> so good and I remember afterwards looking I looked at the producer and I knew she was the lead producer on the project and I remember her looking at me just sad <laughs> just, just sad. <laughs> there was nothing to say except like thank you for coming in which is like I think probably why I thought of it for this podcast and um anyway, and I walked out and thought that was just a really cruel joke <laughs> oh my god yeah it's pretty that is so horrifying. Yeah, it was pretty painful. It was pretty painful. It didn't go. And I felt like that was a gift. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
That's just so brutal. You're like, yeah, I finally found something that's exactly right for me, JK, right before you go in. <laughs> got, yeah. a little, got a little thing for you here. But it's such an important lesson, too, because it's like we get it. Sometimes in cases like that, you actually see it happen in front of you. <laughs> Often you don't, right? I mean, I've heard phone calls happening where someone's offering the role that you're about to reform. Right. I've never had it happen quite like that, but... There's so many reasons we don't book roles and mm-hmm. they are almost never the reasons we think they are. And it's really important to remember. Right. Yeah. So, so true. Oh my God. What a story. <laughs> I'm going to be laughing about that one for the next week. I think <laughs> it's just, it's just so like, it's so LA too, right? It's like yeah. so LA just barreling through doors with champagne champagne, and... champagne was over the top it was just too much they, should have, <laughs> they, they didn't need the champagne no i mean they must have been so on edge and so desperate to fill that role to be popping champagne over casting one singular character but that's when you that's what you also realize and it's such also an important lesson to hold on to is like they are desperate they are mm-hmm. desperate and like, I can say it as a writer now, I am desperate to find the person that can bring this stuff to life in the way that I think is authentic and true and inspiring. Like you are so terrified that that person doesn't exist <laughs> that I <laughs> remember as an actor, like you, you are, you are, you are potentially solving a huge problem in every room you walk mm-hmm. into. You know, and I think that we just so often as actors give all of our power away and feel like, um, you know, I think we, I think we, I just think we forget that there's a partnership in here. When it works, you have solved a huge problem that was unsolvable until you walked in the door. Right. And I mean, every single casting director that I've, I've spoken to outside of a casting office, I mean, they all say the same thing, which is that they're rooting for you. They want you to be the person who kills it. They want you to be the person who walks into the room and they're like, oh my God, that's it. That's the person that we need for this role. They need you to do it. And, and, and also the thing to learn about, you know, or remember about casting directors and I mean, casting directors have many, many times, um, you know, helped build a career for me is they are, they're only bringing in a handful of people for each role, right? They're being very, very specific about who they bring in. So by them, bringing you in for a role, they have already told you how they feel about you. They've already mm-hmm. acknowledged their confidence in you. They are, they are showing you to their producers. So you have to walk in knowing that, you know, they, they, that is a confidence to carry mm-hmm. with you. This person has invested in you. They believe in you and you would not be there unless they thought you were really potentially right for this. So I think we talk ourselves out of roles a lot of times before we walk in the room, we think like, oh, I'm so not right for this, or, oh, I'm not the person they're looking for. If they didn't think you were really potentially the right person, they wouldn't waste their time on you at all. And so I think that's also really important to remember. Mm-hmm. Now, everything's over Zoom and it's, or, you know, self-tapes and it's different. But I, I think it's, I just think it's important to remember that nobody's wasting their time. So if there wasn't a world where this could be your mm-hmm. role, you, you, you wouldn't be there. Oh, such wise words to end the show on, man, that was great. (laughs) Um, I have so enjoyed talking to you. Where can people follow you or the movie on social media so we can follow along and make sure we all watch it when it comes out? 
Yeah. So I'm at uh, Annika underscore Marks is my handle on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, there's an official Annika Marks on Facebook as well. Um, and then Killing Eleanor also has handles on, um, and <laughs> shocking, nobody else had Killing Eleanor, uh, had, had taken that name. <laughs> we just have Killing Eleanor on all the handles as well. Um, and please find us and please watch the film and um, just know in watching it, you're supporting a, an actor turned uh, writer and uh, we're hoping to make a whole bunch more films in the next coming years. Awesome. Thank you so much, Annika. It was so nice to meet you and I cannot wait to see the next films that you produce and write and it's it's a whole nother career and a, a whole whole new adventure. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. This is great. Thank you again to Annika for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to speak with her. If you want to check out Killing Eleanor and follow her, uh, those links are also in the show notes. So scroll on down to find Annika and the movie. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it right now. Leave us some love, some stars, some reviews, um, because it is so greatly appreciated. And hey, tune in next week. We have a fantastic actress on. She is one of the stars of the new CW show Kung Fu. I'm talking about Shannon Dang. Tune in next week. And until then, thanks for coming in. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.